church. Pray with me as I pray. Father God, I just thank you for that truth. I thank you that we gather here today to praise you. Although all of creation groans for your renewal of all things that is coming, Lord, that we um, can sing your praise here in this place, that we can get a little glimpse of, et- of the eternity that awaits us, that we, can, that we can join with creation and cry out, great are you, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship you in the word now, that you would show us that, you're, that you are here and you are good. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. Hi. <laughs> um, Genesis 3, 1 through 11. The serpent was the shreddest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that are not allowed to eat, that we are not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Thank you, sweet girl. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to um, start in Genesis chapter 3, where Laura just read, but I'm not going to get there right away. Um, I just felt compelled. I had not planned to do this, but just to start by reciting Psalm 23. And it's because um, David was, was in a time where um, you know, he, he was not yet king, but the, shepherd, the, the one that was going to become shepherd king has been running from a crazy man for years um, and he's hiding in a desert that makes the, the, the blight that is the desert between here and Tucson look like a garden. And, and he's hiding and, and running, and, and you can imagine just the agony he's in. And in the midst of all of that struggle that, that was not his doing, he writes a song that we know to be Psalm 23, and it says, Oh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You have prepared for me a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.
And the reason I felt compelled to share that is because we live in a world where a majority of, our, of the people who have ever lived in the world do not understand anything about that psalm. The goodness and mercy of the Lord pursuing them. Guys, and here's the other reality, and we've heard it in our prayer time. It just could not have been more beautifully orchestrated by the power, of the, by the Holy Spirit in our time of prayer. Um, we believers have seasons where we struggle with all of the pain and suffering and evil that is going on even in our own lives, let alone what's going on in our world. And so like David, we need to be reminded of the hope that we have in a God who is in control of everything, including evil and suffering. And I get that that brings a whole lot of why questions. And that's what we are going to get to today as we're talking in this series about um, what Christians believe. And we're trying to kind of marry as, as a, unlike our normal diet of um, teaching through a passage, of, or a passage or a book of Scripture. Um, we're kind of trying to marry a teaching and preaching thing going on here so that we would be edified and encouraged and also so that we would equip, be equipped to go out and, and answer the questions that the world is asking. And they have a reason to ask. And today, I will just tell you right up front, today this question of like why, if God is good, why is there evil in the world is probably the hardest question to answer. You probably got from, my, from the message last week, and I, and I um, thank you for hanging in there, and I could have gone on and on and on, and hopefully you're coming to the Foundations class on Wednesday night to dig deeper into these topics, because even, even as long as I went last week, I could only touch on the idea of how do we know God exists but guys, that's actually much easier to prove for people to understand or at least come to some realization of than why is there evil in the world? That's a hard one because that presses into personal because we've all experienced it. But before we get there, I wanted to start with our first talking points question, and that is, what are some ways that we define right and wrong, good and evil in the world? So what are some ways? We're a participation church. So morals and values, what, what does that mean, morals and values? What do, what do you mean? Okay, so we have this idea of what is right and wrong, and the value of doing that is hopefully pleasing to God, and that's going to lead us right into everything Mo just said is going to lead us into what the, this message is going to address. So I'll just leave that there for now. What else? How else do we, guys, how else do we define right and wrong, good and evil? Loss. Losses. Oh, the laws. I'm sorry. I thought you said loss. L-O-S-S. Laws. L-A-W-S. I got you. Laws. Okay, so we, and we talked about like all laws are moral laws. Like we have like just our societal laws. Good. What else? How, what, how do we, let's just talk about good and evil. How do we tend to talk about good and evil or differentiate what's good and what's evil? How we, how we feel. Is that what you said too, eh? How it makes me feel. So if it makes me feel good, it must be good. If it makes me feel bad, it must be evil, maybe. Or maybe it's the other way around, depending on what your thinking is. Right? What else? By our standard. Right? Now, 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 now none of that actually gets to the question of why does it even exist, but it does press us into a point. We've already started having a conversation about, about a dichotomy, good and evil. How do we get there? And that's what we're going to look at 
today. So as we're talking about if God is good, why is there evil in the world? The first point I'm going to make, and you see that the sheet is blank again, because again, I'm not really exactly sure where all this is going to go today, uh, but your note sheet is blank, on the front of it at least. And so I, so I want um, to, the, the, even the question of if God is good, why is there evil? Which is a question the world is asking and is hard to answer. And 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 I'll just I'll, I'm just going to give you a um, a little uh, what do they call like when you give away the end sort of thing the um, a spoiler alert. The, the biblical answer only gets us about halfway there. Like I'm just going to be honest. Like the biblical answer of why why does God allow evil and suffering in the world only gets us about halfway there. And what I mean by that is He makes clear why it's there, and we're going to get to, that's what we're going to talk about today. But in our hearts, we're not really willing to embrace that. Like we're like we're like yeah, that, I, I understand it. I don't accept it because it's too hard. Right, and, and 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 we all struggle with that. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but but it's just this idea of so if, if that is true, like like if we have good and evil, that 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 presupposes that there is some truth, and that's my first point. That just the question itself presupposes that there is some truth. Because here's the thing: if if there if if there is a God and there is evil, or so our, our dichotomy is God and evil, and how do those two, a good God and evil, and how do those two things exist? Well, there's, there can only be three things that could happen. Either one, there is no God, right? And we talked about that last week. We talked last week about how we know there is a God, and I'll come back to that in just a minute. Or there is no evil, and there are actually people who believe there, there, are, there are tracks of Hinduism. There are even Christian scientists today, so, and I don't mean scientists that are Christians. I mean the, the cult that is Christian science says that there is no evil in the world. It's just a state of mind. Or the third, so one is there is no God, there is no evil, or the other is there is a God and there is evil. Now, now how do we explain that? Well, either we have a God, but he doesn't care, or we have a God who does care, but he's not powerful enough to do something about it. Either evil is more powerful, or at least there's some war going on between good and evil, and God cannot quite get his hands around this idea of stopping evil. Or the third one, and this is the one we'll spend our time on today, is there is a God, there is evil, God is powerful enough to control it, and he has reasons for allowing it to happen. And that's what we're going to look at today. But, but first, by way of review, so let's just kind of, by way of review, just let's, let's debunk the first one. But God does not exist. I'm not going to spend any time on that. You can go back and listen to the podcast or online. But basically what it amounts to is we talked about how there's this cosmological argument, that there's a cause and effect, building, builder, creation, creator. There's a teleological argument, which takes that, that creation argument and drills it down into that there's so much detail in creation. Your DNA alone is the fingerprint of God that he exists because it is not scientifically possible that it just evolved over time. They can't throw enough time. I forgot to mention this last week. They can't throw enough time at it. So, so what, you know what their new thing is? They've stolen from Marvel Comics. It's the multiverse, right? It's this idea of how they, of how now, because they couldn't make our universe old enough, they said, well, we're just, we're just a newer universe, a younger universe in the midst of a bunch of universes. Guys, if that's where we're going to put our trust, like how much faith does that, does that take? We think Christianity takes faith? 
Anyway, so I, I, I got I to gotta keep going. We also talked about like this idea in special revelation. There was this idea of like the, the, the laws and God's, in our particular vernacular, it would be God's law that there are, there's morals, there's right and wrong. There's who said something is right and wrong. And that's where we're going to get to today. There's also things like um, the historical argument, just the fact that, that Jesus was a historical figure that you could, outside of the Bible, that there is, there is historical, archaeological and written proof that Jesus lived. And that people, people's lives were changed after the empty tomb was found. That's a historical argument. And then the last one is just, was just our experiential argument. Like, how do I, how do I go from a, from a God-mocking atheist that I was for the first half of my life, where this, this word made no sense and frankly seemed very angry to me, to being a person who goes, oh my goodness, this word is life. How does that happen? Same person. I'm the same person. I mean, our same word. What's happened is my heart has changed. It's gone from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and the Holy Spirit has indwelt me. So none of that answers. So, so, the, so the question we're looking at, we're going, okay, so just the idea that there's good and evil presupposes that there's some truth. Like there's some truth out there because we're trying to define good by what's evil, and we're trying to define evil by what's good. So let's, ta- let's take a minute and look at the passage that Laura read for us. And so turn to Genesis chapter 3, and let's look and see where did evil come from? So where is this idea of evil? Where did it come from? And, and, and I'm just going to touch on a few things here. So, um, so the angelic beings, the angels, right, the angelos, they were created before, sometime before the fall. Sometime during the creation. They were created by God sometime between the time that he spoke creation into existence and, and when we see Genesis 3 come. It could have been during the time that he was creating, but, but these, these beings were created. And, and a third of them, Lucifer was, a, was an angel of light. Now remember that for where we're going to go in a few minutes. Lucifer was an angel of light. He's one of the three archangels that is described in the Bible. You have Gabriel, you have Michael, and you have Lucifer. Those are the only three angels that are named in the Bible. Lucifer rebels because of his pride and becomes what we think of as Satan. And a third of the angels, the angelic beings, go with him, the demons, right? That's where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 3. So that's just by, and so, so, so here comes Lucifer, here comes Satan. He wanders up. We don't know how long he'd been interacting with Adam and Eve. We don't know like how he was getting them to buy into this lie, but he shows up and, he's, and he starts to question God. Did God really say that you're not supposed to eat from this tree? And she says, no, we're not supposed to eat from it. In fact, we're not even supposed to touch it. Well, right there, God never said that, but that's a whole nother sermon. We've taught on this before. Um, many of you are like, why are we back in Genesis 3 again? In fact, we've taught on it so much because this is at the root of all that we see going on in our world. Literally, at the, it is the root of all that we see going on in the world, especially when it comes to things like evil. And then it says, um, he said, in verse 3, he says, but God said, don't eat it or you'll die. In verse 4, um, Satan says, you surely will not die because God knows that if you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like him. We've talked about this before. What they should have said is we're already like him. We're made in his image. But get this. What does he say? Knowing good and evil. Now you read that. Like he's, like Satan is telling her, if you'll eat this fruit, you will know good and evil. Now my mind immediately goes to, Eve, why would you want to know that? But what was Eve's problem? Why? She had no idea what evil was. That would be like saying some, making me just making up a word and me going, hey, Adam, would you like to know about that word? And you're like, I have no idea, but okay. 
and it's feeding my pride that I want to be like God, so away we go. And, and the rest literally is history. But she wasn't like, like we look and we go, I wouldn't choose to know evil because you know what evil is. But how? Because you know what good is. All they knew at this point in the world was good, the goodness of God's presence, the goodness of God's creation. All the, but, but, guys, but we've jumped Again, we've, we've made this big jump to what is, like to this argument of comparing good and evil. This, this is one of the better arguments. When somebody says to you, I don't believe in a God because there's evil in the world, this is one of the better arguments that we have. Some of the greatest thinkers in Christendom and Christian history, including C.S. Lewis, this was the argument that got him Focus. So, so, so listen to what he says. This is out of uh, one of my favorite books, a book that the Lord used to, to help bring me to faith, Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis says this, When I was an atheist, it was simpler and easier to say that the world was not made by an intelligent power, and that's why there's so much wrong with it. My argument is God was the universe seems so cold and unjust. So he's like, man, just, there's just death everywhere. But how had I got to this idea of just and unjust? But a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? A man feels wet when he falls into the water because a man is not a water animal. A fish would not feel wet. No, so just and unjust are all matters of comparison to something else. To say that my idea of injustice was simply my private idea of my own design for what I thought was right and wrong would not work. For then my argument against God collapsed because the world couldn't be unjust simply because it didn't happen to fit what pleased my private fancy. So here's what he's ultimately saying. He's saying, the only way I know what, what unjust is is because I'm comparing it to something that's right. And it can't just be, here's what I think about it, and here's part of why. So, so, and it can't even just be judging people's actions. Because think about this for a minute. We're standing, we're, I'm standing at the edge of, a, of, a, of the subway line, because this, this is where he goes in the books. I'm stealing this from Lewis. I'm standing at the end of the tunnel, the tube, or the, whatever they call it, in, in London, and I'm waiting for the subway to come. And somebody comes up behind me as the train is coming, as the train is going by, and shoves me in front of the train. Is that just or unjust? Pretty unjust, right? What happens if the sa same result, somebody comes along and accidentally trips runs into me, and I fall into the train. Same result. I'm still same dead, right? But is that, is that unjust? No, it's an accident. So it can't just be what we see actionally in our world, like the actions of people. The, like, it has to also have something to do with morality and intent, right? That's, some of our law enforcement officers understand that. But, but think about it. We wouldn't even know, we don't even know what that argument means. We would be Eve in the garden if the whole world was black. So if, the, if, 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 if all of the world was black, how would you explain to somebody in that world what blackness is? How would you, because all they know is black. Now you're on that slide somewhere, because if I give it a little bit of contrast, then you're like, wait a minute. In other words, if I, if I give you something to differentiate black with, all of a sudden it starts to, you, something starts to appear. And, and the more I differentiate black and white, the greater the, the greater the difference. Do you see what I'm talking about? It works the same way with if all the world was white. You're on there somewhere. Guess where you are? You're right here. That's, 
The, but the only way you know that in a world is, is if there is contrast in the world. The only way we know evil is if there's good. Guys, here's, so get, this is a big picture for today. We need evil in order to understand what good even is at the level that God wants to explain it to us. Otherwise, we're just like Eve in the garden. So let's go back to the Garden of Eden, and it talks about, so their eyes, so, the, so, so she eats the fruit, he eats the fruit, and then it says in verse 7, then their eyes were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. So now all of a sudden, corruption and shame, he said, because God comes and says, where are you, Adam? And he says, um, he says, well, I, um, I, I heard you in the garden. I heard the goodness of your presence. And instead of embracing it and running to it like I had been, I ran from it and hid from it because I was ashamed. And God says, who told you you were naked? And there is the rest of the human story from then on. But, but, here, but that, none of that answers the question. But why would God put the tree in the garden in the first place? That's a fair question. Question I ask as an atheist or as an agnostic all the time. When I came to understand that, okay, there is a God. I mean, there has to be. His fingerprints are all over creation. But this whole Christianity, good and evil thing, I'm not getting that at all. Because why? I don't, get your, I don't believe your story. Because why would God put the tree in the garden in the first place? Because, there are, because otherwise the world is all white or it's all black. And I'm not talking race, people, or ethnicity. I'm talking it's all wet. How do you get a fish... To understand what water is, to C.S. Lewis's point, you take him out of the water. He starts to understand pretty rapidly how good water is, right? I, so I want to show you an example. I don't know if this is going to work. Mark, come up here for a second, just because you're close. I have no idea if this is going to work or not. But so come up here, stand there on just those two gray things. Well, if I, can you bring the lights down? It might make it work better. Okay, so here's Mark. Hi, Mark. Yeah, you might want to do that. So do you see the light? Okay, see. <laughs> dark light do you see i see the light brother hallelujah praise the lord okay now turn around what do you see yeah what do you what do you see on the wall it's a wave a little bit or do something what do you see a shadow what's is the shadow self-created no keep saying, 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 saying what's creating the shadow the light is create. You're not even creating the shadow. The shadow now. Now, without turning around, tell me where point to where the light is. No, point to where the light actually is. Okay. So now, 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 point to where the light is. Now, point to where the light is. Okay. Thank you. You may go sit down. Do you understand? Yeah. Way to go. Do you understand that not only? So not only did did we need wait, this, with if if there was no shadow, I could sit there and I could do this. And, and, and he would never be able to point to where the light is because the, the evidence of the absence of the light is what led him to, to know where the light was coming from. Does that make sense? We need, we need the, the, the bad in order to understand what the good even is. Right? There is no goodness of God without evil. Now, guys, I understand that that is a very, like I said, this, this part about it only goes about halfway because I, I still look and I go, in, in my sinfulness, I go, yeah, but God, I would have figured out a different way of showing that. Okay, come up with one and let me know because, the, because we can't even comprehend a world that is all good, but God wanted to show us just how good he is. The, the way Paul talked about it when we were in Romans was he says, what if God wanted... In order to show his grace, made, made it so that not everybody was saved. Because otherwise we would all, like if everybody was saved, 
then we would all then we'd have no idea what it meant to be not saved. Which then where is their grace in that? And so ultimately that's that's a part of this argument. We ha- we have to come to grips with this idea that that the world we're living in and the world that, the, that people are, at, that are challenging us on and this idea of good and evil, it's, it's almost impossible for us to articulate well what this goodness and evil looks like other than to ask them a question like, well, what do you mean by good? What do you mean by evil? When someone says, so, so go to your talking points question. Some people say that, we, that, that the existence of evil disproves the existence of God. How would you respond to a person who says, I cannot believe in God because of all the evil in the world, which is, a, which is the biggest pushback against God. I cannot believe in God because of all the evil in the world. If you watch any of these things where, tell, where um, street evangelists are going out and just questioning people about God, this is their biggest argument. I don't believe that there's a God because if there is a God, then why would he allow all this evil? How would you answer that? How would you respond to that person? Maybe not answer, but how, how should we respond to that person? What is evil? What do you mean by evil? How do you even have this concept of what is good and what is evil? Like, is it, is it really by your own? Because, because, and we talked, this is part of that moral argument. If, if good and evil is simply some sort of social structure, that doesn't work either. Because the Nazis had a social structure, and we understand it was evil. But who says? Who says, right, throughout, throughout because, because science and even, the, and even the cognitive sciences like sociology, or sociology and, and, and psychology, they do not have an answer for who says what is good and evil. Because what the, the, the whole concept of science is the strongest survive. That's why C.S. Lewis said the world just looks so dark and ugly. Because it is apart from God. Guys, the question isn't why is there evil in the world. The question is why is there any good at all? Because science doesn't explain any part. Guys, why does food taste good? Why are sunsets pretty? Why, like, why do we have families and the, and the family of God? and like Everything that we think of as good, there is no scientific reason for that to exist. Like it, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have evolved by chance because there was no benefit for it to evolve by chance. The benefit to evolve is the strongest live and kill all that are not them. That's true about that's what nature says. Right? And for us, we have to look and go, okay, but what do you mean? But guys, but guys, last thing before we move on to our second point. So when somebody says to you, I don't believe in God because of all the evil in the world. We don't want to start going, well, you don't understand because you know you don't even understand why you know good and evil. You don't like you don't you don't you want to start by hearing their story. Like before you even go, what do you mean by evil? Try to try to enter into their story a little bit and find out maybe there's something, maybe, maybe their dad just died. And they're like, yeah, I, I have a real or maybe their husband just left them and the kids, or maybe fill in the blank, and you go, now that person might really struggle to understand how a good God would allow that. But if you just jump to the argument, like to the, to the reasons that you have, without entering into their space and hearing their story, you miss, a, you miss the opportunity to, to touch their heart. So we start by asking questions. We lead with grace. We can get to truth. We need to get to truth. But we start with grace. If you start with truth, you never get to grace. 
If you start with grace, you can get to truth. So remember that. So here, the question is, if God is good, why is there evil? First, the question presupposes truth. The second is, arguments are made, these are, the, the whole argument is made by presumptuous people. They presume upon God. Now before I stop, before you go, wait a minute, you just said lead with grace, you're pointing fingers. Guys, we're all presumptuous people. We all presume upon God. We all ask God why. How, guys, I, by, by a show of hands, just so everybody believes this, if you've ever asked God why Fill in the blank. Raise your hand right now, please. Okay, so if you're sitting here today and you're not a believer, you, you're in good company. If you want to know why God lets bad things happen, because you're in good company. We all do that. We all presume upon God. I want to show you an example in Scripture of a guy who presumed upon God even in the midst of struggling to stay righteous. Find the book of Job. Find the book of Job, and we're going to go to Job. We're going to, go to, we're going to do a... a, a, a 50,000 foot fly flyby of the book of Job in the next five minutes because it's so important for us to understand that the real question isn't why is this happening that that's the that's the question that's a, that's the real question but the, I mean that's, that's what our heart asks why God why oh God right like like David asked the Psalms of lament are full of the why questions why are you doing this right my God my God why have you forsaken me Jesus asked it, right? David asked it. Those are, those are heart questions. But the real question we need to drive to in our own hearts and help other people get to is what? What is God trying to show you? What is God using this for? Those are the questions. So look at, so, so you guys, many of you know the story of Job. I've taught through Job before um, and, we, and we, we turn to it often. So Job is this man who was, we don't know exactly when Job lived, but it was sometime during the creation story and he's, and he's, um, and he's considered righteous. Now look at Job chapter 1 and verse 8, and it says this. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered, so, so understand, this is, another, so this is Satan, Lucifer, Garden of Eden. Sometime after the Garden of Eden, Satan slithers up to the throne room of God and says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a conversation with God about, about this brother Job. And he says, he says or, or God actually points Job out, and he says, have you considered my, brother, my, the, my man Job? There is not one like him on the earth, blameless and upright, Who's, who fears God and turns away from evil. He's not sinless, but he, doesn't see, he, he um, is considered righteous among the people of the world. So he's a, he's a God-fearer. And then it says, Then Satan answered and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put your hedge of protection around his house and all of his people? He says in verse 11, So this is Satan fronting up God and going, you, you, um, But stretch out your hand and touch all that he is, and he will curse you to your face. And God says, Okay, I'll let, I'll let you do that. And all of a sudden, a fire comes and wipes out all of Job's um, fields. We can, Job was a very rich man. Um, these, these people come and steal all of Job's cattle, or um, all of his livestock. And then a big wind comes and destroys the home that his children are in and kills them all. Now look at verse, chapter 1, verse 20. So, so, there, so there's what suffering looks like. It says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on, his, fell on the ground, and worshipped. He didn't curse God, he worshipped. It says, and then he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God 
with wrong. And you're like, man, that's amazing. This is a man who understood suffering. So, so Satan comes back to God and says, well, it's because you haven't let me touch him personally. You let me at him and he'll, he'll reject you. So he gives him all these boils and it just all kinds of um, physical ailment that many of us have struggled through at different times in our lives. And look at chapter 2, verse 9. It says, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? I mean, he's like, even after all that God has done to you, but, she, but um, curse God and die. But he said, you speak of, as, one of, as one who is a foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good from God and not evil? So, so Job understands where the evil is coming from. Satan is the agent that God is using, but he knows God is allowing it. And it says, and all through all of this, Job did not sin. Guys, he understands, but he understands what, like, what suffering is. He gets the pain and the evil in the world. And here's where that will bring you sometimes. Guys, look at, look at chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He doesn't curse God. He just says, man, God, I wish I were never born. Let the day perish on which I was born and the night say, I wish I were never conceived. Let the day be darkness. May, God, may the God above seek it, nor light shine. May God not seek it, nor let the light shine upon it. Look at verse 16. Oh, why was I hidden? Why was I not hidden as a stillborn child? Look at verse 20. Why is light given to him who has misery? So he's saying, why am I even alive? Like he's asking all the why questions. Why is light given to a man? Look at verse 24. For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groaning are and my groaning is poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and I and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease nor am I quiet, and I have no rest, but trouble comes. Job understood brokenness. He understood where the brokenness was coming from. He was a man who was living in a hard world, having a hard life, and he gets to this place. Now, now, now it doesn't end there. Look at, he has these moments of, of strength. Look at chapter 13, verse, five, or verse 15. I can turn there fast enough. Well, I'll start in verse three. He says, "But I will." But I, but so this is so this is where he starts to get presumptuous. He starts to question God. In verse three of chapter thirteen, he says, "But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God." And then in verse fifteen, he says, "Though He slay me, I will hope in Him," which sounds really good. But look at how he finishes it. Yet I will argue my ways to his face, to God. He's in this wrestle that we can all relate to. Turn to chapter 19, verse 25. This is what I prayed for the Dawkins family. He says, Job says in verse 25 of chapter 19, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will take his stand upon the earth. Job understands something about his suffering. And this helps us help people. How do we help people understand why there's evil in the world, why there's suffering in the world? It's part of it is we have to give them a long view of their life, their current physical life and their eternal life. Because with a short view, suffering seems massive. Because it is. But with the long view, so he's like, no, I, I get the long view. Now turn to chapter 23, verse 10. He says, but I know, but, but he, God knows the way that I take. And when, I am try, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So he's saying, God, there is an eternal refiner's purpose, even in my presumption. He's saying, I, now, now get that, but, 
And this is, this, is where, this is the Job I can relate to more. Like, I have a hard time relating to Job in chapter 19 and chapter 23. I can relate to Job in chapter 30. So turn to chapter 30. Guys, we know that like when he makes all things new and new creation, we know that, that God is going to restore. Like, we know the end of Job's story. God is going to restore all that he took away from Job and, and tenfold. But at, the, but at this moment in Job's life, Job doesn't know it. Job doesn't know that's what's going to happen. All he knows is loss. All he knows is suffering. But in Job chapter 30, verse 16, he says this, And now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. The night racks my bones and the pain gnaws me to take no rest. With great force, my garment is disfigured. It binds me about like the collar of my tunic. God, now get this. Guess how, get how personal his pain is towards God. God has cast me into the mire and he's become like dust, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry for help and you do not answer. I stand and you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. Guys, get this. Even the Jobs of the world, even the Elijahs of the world. Remember Elijah chapter 1 Kings 19? Elijah, one of the greatest, one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, said, it is enough now, Lord. Take my life. I'm just done. Right? I'm just done with all this pain and suffering. We can all get that Elijah complex, right? Put Job in the midst of this. He doesn't know how the story is going to end. He, he just, like, he's, he's just in the fight just like we are, and we all presume upon God that way. Look at your last talking points question because that begs the question, so why doesn't God do something? When you're in the middle of the agonizing, soul-crushing why question of your life, when the person you're trying to engage with is in that place in their marriage or their family or, or their health, and they're asking that question, guys, it's, it's a fair, we need, we, need to, we need to step into that moment. We need to go, don't, don't question God. God invites us into that, right? And we need to be okay with that. But the question becomes, so if, if God could, so since God, it's not a war between God and Satan. God wins, and he is all-powerful, and we need to remember that. So why doesn't he stop it? I'm asking. That's the question. Why doesn't he stop it? What's he waiting for? The fullness of his kingdom, which is going to be, which is going to come when what? All his enemies have made a footstool under his feet, and all of his children have come to him. God is not slow about time, like some count slowness. Peter says. He says, for, for like a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. But he is patient. He is way more patient than we are because he doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me. He's waiting for them. That's what he's waiting for. Guys, if right now, if, if God were to say, okay, cross-train church, I'm going to end all evil at noon today. How many people would be left in this room? Get this, guys. Yeah. Zero. Zero. Now, if you're in Christ, 
He's going to make you new, and if it's part of the new creation, but if all he was doing was like the flood all over again, he's like, I'm going to wipe out all evil. Guys, in our, bro- in our flesh, in our brokenness, in the part of us that's not yet renewed, we're still in that. We're still in the decay. It's why our bodies groan with all of creation. So for us, to, for somebody to say, why doesn't God do something? The answer is, he could. It would destroy everything, which is what the new heaven and the new earth are going to do. He's going to recreate all of it apart from the evil. Because at that point, he's going to take the evil and throw it in the lake of fire, and it's going to be done with. But you say, why didn't he make it? No, so my mind goes, why didn't he make it that way in the first place? Why didn't he, why, rather than make the creation recreation, which is God's story, why not just jump to the recreation? What's our answer from our first point? You wouldn't, you wouldn't know what white or black is. There would be no way to know God's grace. The only way we know redemption is if we needed a redeemer. Right? The only way we know a savior is if there was sin. So for us to celebrate for us to celebrate Jesus and not embrace the reality of the evil and suffering in the world is to, is to deny the very reason he came. And we have to come to grips with that. Again, it only gets us about halfway there, but that brings us to our last point, and we're gonna land this plane with this. So, if why is there evil and suffering in the world? Well, one, it, that, that presupposes truth. Like, what, like, we're trying to tell God what is right and what is wrong. It's, it's given by presumptuous people that want to tell God, God, I would do it differently, which we all do. But the, but, the, but the other reason God allows for evil and suffering is because he wants to refine us. He wants to refine us. Because, guys, who knew about evil and suffering? Jesus Christ. That's why they call him a suffering servant. Because God's end game for your life, for my life, for the life of those people out there, for the people that are listening online right now, God's end game for you is eternal glory, and that looks like Jesus. And you don't get there without scars. And you can't get scarred in a playland. If everything were a bouncy house in this, in this world, we could not possibly go to eternity looking like Christ. He wants us to look like his Savior, and his Savior understood evil and suffering. Because that's what killed him. And that's why he was willing to die. So with that, I want to take you to one more guy. He's going to make our point for us. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He under, another guy who understood suffering and, and its purpose in our lives. He's the one that wrote Romans chapter 5 that, that Mo read about um, that these trials produce perseverance, persever, uh, perseverance um, pay, or patience, and patience um, endurance. Patient endurance brings about hope. This is the guy that wrote all that. In chapter, in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he goes through a long list of all the things that he suffered. And, it's, and guys, he's got 10 more years of ministry to do. So this massive list of things that, would, that, that we've never even experienced, beatings and whippings and stoned to death and, and I mean, all kinds of stuff that he's really suffered, like in ways that you and I never will. He has more to go in the service of Christ, but, he, but then he has, but then God, so God gives him this revelation, like an Isaiah 6 moment where he sees the glory of God in heaven. And it says, um, and so then I'm, chap, I'm picking it up in chapter 12, verse 7 of, of 2 Corinthians. It says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, 
a thorn was giving me in the flesh. The flesh is just his physical, his natural body is what Paul would have said. That would be his, that would be his physicality, his mind, all of it together would be what he means. It's not just his physical body. It's also his mental self too in, in that world. That's what the word flesh means. And then it says, a messenger of Satan to harass me. What's the word there for messenger? Angelos. It's where we get the word angel. Paul is saying an angel of the Lord. What do we call the angel, or angel, of, uh, angel of Satan? What do we call the angels of Satan? Demons. He's saying, Paul is saying, a demon was given to me. Given to me by who? No. God. I, an, he's saying, for God didn't want me to exalt myself. He is the one that allowed this demon to harass me. So that ought to tell us a little bit about how demons are real, and they can actually harass people, right? Including believers, because, oh, by the way, Paul was a believer. It says, but to keep me from being conceited, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would leave me. That it would, that, that, like, so this is not like three times, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. This is over an extended period of time. If you know Paul, and we do now after being in Romans for 39 weeks, we know this was not just three times, I'm going to pray, it didn't work, I'm, I got to just keep going. He is begging God and begging God and begging God. And it says, and then it says this, Jesus shows up and says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness, Paul. So he's saying, the, the, the reason you were given this demon of the flesh, and this is the point God, we saw in Job, God is sovereign over this demon. But the re, he had reason for giving it to Paul, and it was that Paul would better understand the grace of God, the grace of Christ, that he would understand that, that it would humble him, that it would cause him to depend on Christ, that it would show God's power, that it would display his grace. Guys, we need the bad, in order to see how good God is. That's the ultimate reason. It's, it's the level of the, the darker the darkness is, the brighter the light shines. That's the reality. That's what we see happening in our world. That's what we see happening in the church. So why is there evil? Guys, Like think, think about this for a minute. So, so we're going to wrap it up with this. So why is there evil? Well, think about what, what did God, God only had a couple of choices. Just don't make us in the first place. Make us robots. Or give us choice to choose good and evil, knowing we would choose poorly. So that he could invade our space, our lives, our heart, this world, and cause us to choose rightly by his grace. That's for his glory alone. That's why he allowed, that's why he put the that's why he put the tree in there is a reason. Why did God put the tree in the garden? It's he he, he did not shock him. God is never in heaven going, oh, I did not see that coming. Now what do I do? He he absolutely knew it and ordained it to happen so that he could show the goodness of his grace. Now I say all that and I go. I still would, Lord, I would have found a better way. And he would say to me, who are you, O Doug, to answer back to me? My ways are so much higher than your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So as the music team comes up and we close up with our couple of songs before our family meeting, um, I, 
get this. The ultimate answer to the question of why is there evil, if God is so good, why is there evil and suffering in the world, is that here's the, here's the real ultimate answer. And this is what I'd ask you to let your own heart search. And whether, it's, whether you're a believer and you're, just, you're in a place of struggling right now and you're, and you're asking those why questions or you're, or you're an, a, a not yet saved person, I'd ask you, I'd ask this. How else is God going to show us the goodness of his grace and the presence of his son. Guys, without sin, there is no need for a savior. Without our rebellion, as crazy as this plan sounds, without our rebellion, there is no need for a redeemer. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the truth that um, that you are a good pursuing God and that your grace is sufficient, that your power is perfected in our weakness. Lord, I pray that, 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 we would, that we would help each other because we all ask the why questions, that, but that we would help each other press past the why and get to the what. What, what Christ-conforming thing is God doing in our lives? That we would help other people understand that ultimately that all that they see going on in their world that, that they would see as evil is only because you have put, you have, you've shown by common grace what goodness looks like. And that ultimately what they're looking for is that grace to invade their lives. They just don't know it. So it help us to be a vehicle by which we might speak those words of grace and truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.